Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals from the perspective of people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting laws and regulations accordingly. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. And as is our custom, the first thing we do is turn it over to our executive director, Marty Irby, for a legislative update from the Hill. Marty, what's going on? Joe, it's great to be here again with you as always. So we've got some great news going on this week. The top bill that we think that we can get done and signed into law this Congress is the FDA Modernization Act. It very simply addresses a 1938 statute that requires animal testing for any drug approved by the FDA. This legislation makes that optional so that FDA can use the best science and these companies that are developing these drugs can do that. Um, We are really, really grateful for the leadership of Senator Rand Paul and Senator Cory Booker on the Senate side. And then, of course, Vern Buchanan, Nancy Mace and Elaine Luria in the House of Representatives. We also really appreciate the tireless work of Congressman Buddy Carter, a pharmacist from Georgia, and Congressman Kurt Schrader, the only veterinarian in Congress. He's from Oregon. They have championed this provision in the committee. We're very, very excited. We think that that's going to get signed into law before the August recess. So that will be our first bill to get signed into law in 2022. And we're elated about that. This has been long overdue. We also continue to work on the Big Cat Public Safety Act. Many of you have heard us talk with Carol Baskin on the show. She's been to Washington, D.C. with us a number of times this year lobbying for the legislation. We're working on the Minks, our Super Spreaders Act, because minks are the number one super spreader of COVID-19. Besides humans, they have actually spawned numerous variants, one here in the U.S., and that legislation continues to be an uphill battle. We have uh, gotten it included through a House-passed amendment in the America Competes Act. That's the China Competition Bill, but we weren't able to get that in the Senate bill. So now what we're doing is working through what they call a conference committee, where they have two different bills that have passed, one each chamber. They go meet, they have conferees, they decide what the differences are, they work out the differences, and they come back with a larger package that will be passed through both chambers. We're hopeful that the Meeks or Super Spreaders Act will continue to be maintained, but we definitely have some work ahead of us because there's a contingency of Republicans led by Tom Tiffany over in the House of Representatives and Ron Johnson over in the U.S. Senate, and they've rallied about a dozen or two people who are actively advocating to jettison that provision from the American Competes Act. So we've got a lot of work ahead of us on that front. We're still hopeful that we might have a shot at getting the Bear Protection slash Bear Poaching Elimination Act. Uh, signed into law. That measure passed the U.S. Senate um, 20 years ago or so, twice by unanimous consent, but it never passed the House of Representatives. And that would address the trade in bear gallbladders. The Chinese government began at the beginning of COVID uh, actually promoting the use of bear bile from bear gallbladders as a treatment for COVID-19 with no scientific basis. So that one might be a little tougher, but we're hopeful that we have a shot at getting that done. And then I also wanted to mention a new piece of legislation that was just introduced in the House of Representatives, the Veterans for Mustangs Act. That's a bill that our friend Cameron Ring conceived with Veterans for Mustangs. We've been helping him, got it introduced by uh, Congresswoman Lisa McLean from Michigan. She introduced that legislation with Brian Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania and Maria Salazar from Florida. 
It would create a pilot program to be able to allow veterans with PTSD to help with the administration of PZP birth control to wild horses out on the range and hopefully ultimately help many of these horses by not allowing them to be born in the first place so that they're not rounded up and they're not chased with helicopters. They're not put in holding and they're not treated inhumanely and terribly as so many of our iconic American equines have been by the Bureau of Land Management, now with more than 50,000 of them in holding. We're excited about that legislation and the larger uh, reform package that would be a complete overhaul of the Wild Horse and Burrow Act. Uh, the Rome Act is forthcoming. We're still working to get that bill introduced and the Veterans for Mustangs Act will also be included in that legislation, but this is just one more step in the right direction. So we're excited. We've got a lot of new things going. I know we're going to get two or three of these bills signed into law this year, and we really appreciate everyone's support. Marty, it sounds like a bunch of great stuff. I appreciate that. Thank you, and keep up the good work. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about horses. Now, if you follow the content of Animal Wellness Action and the Center for a Humane Economy, You know that with the recent running of the Kentucky Derby, we have focused a lot on thoroughbred racing, but there is another aspect of the equine world where we keep our eyes focused, and that is wild horses. There is a lot happening when it comes to wild horses, and our organization is all over it. The purpose of this show is to talk to a couple of experts in the um, foibles, the travails, the hardships being suffered uh, by these wild horses, particularly in the West, and to understand more what we can do about them. Uh, Joining us on the matter is Scott Beckstead. He is our wild horse guru uh, based out West. He is our director of campaigns for uh, Animal Wellness Action and the Center for a Humane Economy. Also, we have Vickery Eckhoff. She is a journalist and screenwriter based in New York City. She frequently covers wild horse roundups, public lands ranching, and the underground horse meat trade. Her stories can be found in Forbes, Counterpunch, Newsweek, HuffPo, Alternet, Salon, Newsweek, and the Daily Pitchfork, a website that fact-checks, reviews, and publishes corrections um, and requests to media outlets to improve accountability in public Trust. The Daily Pitchfork also, coincidentally, is the um, name of the daily newsletter in in hell. Uh, you know that they, that goes out to all the little neighborhoods in Hades, and you got the Daily Pitchfork there. I'll probably edit out that joke, but so be it. <laughs> it sounded it sounded clever in my head, Vickery, when I was saying that the Daily Pitchfork. If Satan were going to have a daily newsletter for his subjects in hell, it might be called the Daily Pitchfork. That Uh-oh. is brilliant. Yeah, I like it. I think you need to. I think you need to somehow figure out how to keep it in. <laughs> I used Great. to do as I used to do as social media form. So the next time uh, you know Mephistopheles and I connect, I may I may have to bring that back up. Um, her data on the number of livestock on public lands is the number one result in a related Google search. She's also written several screenplays, including The Judas Horse, about the closing of Dallas Crown, one of the last slaughterhouses for horses in America. Out of Luck, a short script about horse rescue, and the modern Christian spinster's guide to love in the 21st century, a comedy pilot taking place during New York City's disco era. Vickery, you are a person of varied interests, to be sure. Thank you. You can't always write about the bad stuff all the time. You know, the, the, this issue 
when I talk about it with Scott and some of the other folks who are in our world to educate people about this, I find it really infuriating. Uh, we have, and we'll get into more of the particulars here, um, but you know, the idea that we have these public lands, that these indigenous wild horses roam it, then you, you have for-profit ranchers who want access to cheap grazing lands. The government gets behind them through primarily, I guess, the, the muscles of the Bureau of Land Management. Out go the horses. They, they suffer as a result. And the, these, these for-profit people get grass for, for cheap. I mean, am I casting the issue succinctly and accurately, Vickery? Yes, I think so. Um, I think it's a, a racket and only one side of that racket is being revealed to the public. So I have kind of dedicated myself to trying to uh, expose the public to the other side, the more costly side and the one that the government is withholding from them. Very good. And what in our pre-show discussion, you mentioned that there were a number of mistruths being uh, promulgated by the BLM. And, and the, where I want to go with the show is just to kind of go through some of those major ones and get the, the right side, your side, the horse's side of the, the story. Scott, what else can we say succinctly to set that conversation up for our listeners to really help them understand the issue? You know, uh, thank you, Joseph, and uh, I'm thrilled to be here with uh, with my friend Vickery. We have uh, worked together for many years on these topics, uh, and you know, I am always talking about the cruelty of the helicopter roundups, the need to prioritize wild horses and burros over livestock on designated wild horse habitat, uh, because that's you know that's sort of the you know the the part that gets all the outrage. But what we haven't talked about is the failure of journalists and reporters to really communicate accurately about what's happening and and to to ask serious questions about the Bureau of Land Management and its approach to wild horse and burrow and public lands management. And so, uh, you know, that's really what we need to dive into today. And that's where Vickery's expertise really comes to bear uh, because she has been paying very close attention to uh, the rate at which the Bureau of Land Management issues false information and the overriding tendency of journalists and reporters to simply take that information and recite it without asking any questions about its its accuracy or its truth. I'm really glad we're having this conversation. It needs to be a conversation that, that really gets out there more with the objective, I hope, of getting the media, the fourth estate, to start doing its job on the wild horse and burrow issue. You know, it's a phenomenon I have seen throughout my career in journalism, and golly, I would hate to know how many times I was guilty of this myself. You get press releases, you do research in other stories from other medium. That which is said uh, has the imprimatur of fact, and it becomes very difficult and time-consuming to fact-check things. And not only when it comes to this issue, but I'm afraid most issues, what is said once uh, becomes said again and again. But I get your point, I guess, is when I'm using too many words uh, to say. Do you want to hear exactly how many press releases this government agency is putting out and what kind of coverage it creates? Sure, Vickery, tell us. For you. So to date, uh, in 
2022, the Bureau of Land Management has put out 52 press releases and news announcements, 52 in the first quarter of the year, getting into the second quarter. One of those press releases spurred 175 news articles, 175. And I went through all 175 of them to see how much of the Bureau of Land Management's press release did these news outlets reproduce as news? And in most cases, they just cut and pasted the the entirety of the press release and put the words on it, news or from our news team. Sometimes they would just do part of the press release, but still not bringing in counterfacts, the real facts. You know, there aren't really counterfacts here because what the Bureau of Land Management is saying, some of it, you know, you can't dispute their numbers, but what they give as a reason for wild horses being rounded up, there are, as we mentioned, five mistruths. But of the 175 articles spurred by one press release, 165 of them were written by the same guy. One reporter for the Associated Press pretty much has a corner on the market of producing coverage of BLM issues and licenses these to news outlets. The Associated Press is the world's largest news distributor. Uh, So what he says is picked up and regarded as the truth because the Associated Press is very well regarded. So the Associated Press um, has the ability to uh, hand the Bureau of Land Management, not just doesn't give them the, the ability, it has given them a megaphone to the entire mainstream media. And so it's very hard to counter the false information that they put into these you know, these stories that they license. And in fact, when they are asked to correct false information, they refuse. So how's that for speaking truth to power? That's what news outlets and news distributors are supposed to do. And they may do it in some instances, but not in all. And I would just jump in here and supplement that by saying that the BLM knows uh, that the public views them as the expert. After all, they are a federal agency that manages our public lands, and therefore they, you know, they have that whole official authority thing going for them. And so, when they speak, if if the journalists aren't taking a critical look at what they're saying, you know, it's very easy and very understandable for the average American reader to simply say, oh, well, that must be true because the BLM would know. They are a government agency that manages wild horses. What, what more is there to say? And, uh, and I think that's really the value in the work that Vickery is doing is, uh, is in, in trying to get journalists to not just recite these things that the BLM says, but instead actually take a critical look and ask some very basic follow-up questions. Let's, um, because I could talk about this topic for, for an hour, so I'm going to exercise some self-discipline and forces to move on and let you very uh, unequivocally and directly act as media ombudsman uh, for the, the five top mistruths uh, from the BLM when it comes to uh, wild horses. And Scott, please chime in as, as you like. But the number one myth I want to confront you with, Vickery, is this. 
the West has an ongoing wild horse and burrow problem. The AML of wild horses is three times higher than Bureau uh, of Land Management says it should be. So I'm guessing the former statement uh, is the myth and the second part of that is what the truth is. Most news media have characterized um, the wild horse issue as a huge problem across the West. Uh, If you look at headlines, they will say across the West, wild horses, blah, 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 wild horses are doing this, but it's always across the West. And, you know, in fact, um, the West is a huge territory. It's comprised of 11 states and um, the very small percentage of acreage that the wild horses are on is only 4% of the West. Meanwhile, you have publicly uh, grazed cattle and sheep from private livestock producers that are on perhaps half of that. So uh, to characterize the wild horse issue as a huge problem across the West is mathematically false. And um, it's not just false, it is grossly false. Um, The second thing is that the Bureau has set um, something that it calls the appropriate management level. And this appears consistently in every news release uh, about um, roundups that are about to take place, roundups that are in progress, the adoption program, and other news announcements. Uh, The AML is in there each time to justify that you know a certain amount of horses are being removed to get down to AML. But what AML is, it's a quota. It is not uh, data that has been scientifically arrived at by scientists. In fact, um, the National Academy of Sciences, I think it is, um, Scott, is that the right agency? Their uh, much-awaited uh, report on the Wild Horse and Burrow Program stated that these appropriate management levels are not scientifically arrived at. What the Bureau of Land Management never says in its press releases, in you know the forty, the forty-nine to fifty-two that have been um, uh, turned into news so far this year, and the hundreds in previous years, uh, they never talk about the fact that there are millions of cattle compared to maybe I think now the estimate is eighty thousand wild horses. There's a couple of million cattle out there. Uh, grazing many times more the acreage that the wild horses are. They're in this HMAs where the horses are protected by law. They outpopulate them, they outeat them. But the Bureau of Land Management's press releases always say that the horses need to be removed due to overpopulation causing overgrazing and exacerbating drought. Yeah, and, and that's uh, and that's myth number two. So let's segue uh, right into that. Why is that a myth that the wild horse overpopulation and the ongoing drought is causing a scarcity of food and water on on the range? And and how are these horses, according to BLM, degrading the rangeland? Let's debunk that. Well, because they don't manage uh, to you reveal that the cattle and the livestock are overgrazing the range in much greater numbers. Um, it appears from the way they state their quote unquote facts that it's the horses causing that grazing over damage. But in fact, the problem is they have two layers of issues. They have a very deep layer of livestock overgrazing, which is documented by them. In fact, the Bureau of Land Management does rangeland health reports in which it is found that if a a piece of territory like an HMA or a certain region is overgrazed and it is not meeting rangeland health standards, the usual rating, according to the Bureau of Land Management, is 
livestock damage. To leave out the livestock makes it appear that the horses are the reason for all of the damage. I, I think what the BLM is trying to do is trick reporters into thinking that it's the, the horses that are doing the damage. But if you read their language really carefully, what they're saying is basically that having a few extra horses in an area where livestock are doing damage increases the damage. It's just by a little bit, but they don't say that the livestock are there. So it appears the horses are responsible for all of it. Scott, let me uh, play devil's advocate with you for a minute, right? We, we have a, a social interest in making sure the public has access to affordable food. And since many people eat livestock, can it not be argued that, well, yeah, we, we've got to have these grazing lands so that we can keep the beef supply and keep it affordable. And by golly, you know, wild horse people deal with it. Um, let me just say this number right here. 1.6% of the U.S. beef supply is raised on public lands managed by the Bureau of Land Management in the Western United States, 1.6%. There are more beef cattle in the state of Florida than on all BLM Western lands put together. This is a tiny subset of cattle being raised. You've got cattle being raised on arid, high desert uh, mountain landscapes that cattle are very ill-suited to. Cattle evolved in the wet forests of, of Europe. Horses, on the other hand, evolved here on the North American continent. They evolved over millions of years to thrive on arid landscapes like in the Western United States. The federal government charges these public lands grazers in the West $1.35 per animal unit month, $1.35. By contrast, beef producers in Midwestern states that are far more amenable to raising cattle are paying over $20 per animal unit month. That means that these corporations that are grazing cattle on unsuitable rangelands in the American West are getting a significant competitive advantage over the beef producers in other parts of the country. Essentially, we are removing wild horses from wild horse habitat and holding them in long-term holding in pastures in the Midwest that should be supporting beef cattle. And then we're taking beef cattle that don't do well on Western landscapes and putting them out there, charging them $1.35 per animal unit month. It's just, it's a completely backward system. And of course, it's being subsidized by the American taxpayer. These horses are just overcrowded. Uh, Vickery, you know, if we're going to help them, we got to get rid of some of them, right? The needs of the, the few outweigh the needs of the many. Yeah, well, there is, you know, um, it has been shown in uh, Bureau of Land Management photographs of horses that were being um, rounded up, um, that they're fat um, and healthy looking. Um, and uh, the Bureau of Land Management, you know, in a couple of the roundups last year said, you know, um, 
not enough food or water to keep them healthy. And then when it was pointed out that there were torrential rains in those areas and that the horses that they had rounded up were fat, they then charged, changed their argument to, well, there won't be enough food and water for them this winter. The only thing that limits the amount of food that the horses might have is the fact that there are cattle ranchers who paid $1.35 per AUM per month wanting that forage for their own uh, herds. Okay, Scott? I just want to jump in and uh, underscore what Vickery just said. The Bureau of Land Management, uh, let's take, for example, uh, the Anaki Roundup in, uh, in Utah, a very beloved and very popular herd of wild horses, the Anaki horses in the West Desert. BLM said that uh, the horses were uh, overcrowded and, and said that they were in danger of starving to death and gave them a body score that suggested that they were close to emaciation and that this roundup operation was necessary to save them from starvation. Well, I personally visited the Anaki horses on the eve of that roundup, and I'm telling you that those horses were not just in good shape, but many of them were actually overweight. Uh, Three days into the roundup, the Bureau of Land Management issued a press release where they said, <laughs> well, yeah, these horses are actually um, in very, very good condition, uh, but, um, but we need to round them up anyway to, you know, to, to preserve the rangeland and, and to keep the horses healthy. We're doing it for their benefit, even though they're perfectly healthy and doing just fine. Then just two months later, we saw the very same thing at the Sandwash Basin Roundup in Northwestern Colorado. The BLM said, uh, these horses are going to starve to death. Uh, there's no forage. There's no water. Uh, you know, they they justified the roundup on that basis. Well, then the rains came. The water holes all filled up. The grass just erupted out of the ground. And so the BLM changed its narrative and said, well, okay, well, actually, we have to save the sage grouse and, uh, and prevent future starvation of the wild horses. What happened in both of those herd management areas, both the Anahi HMA in Utah and the Sandwash Basin HMA in Colorado, was within weeks of all those horses being gone, because a few hundred were too many for the rangeland, thousands and thousands of sheep were turned out onto both of those rangelands. So the rangeland that the BLM said couldn't support a few hundred wild horses uh, was immediately turned over to thousands of commercial sheep. So this is this is the pattern that the BLM is showing. And I'll, I'll now uh, let Vickery sort of uh, comment on that. So getting back to what the Bureau of Land Management says in its press releases and what it leaves out, you know, they say we have to, you know, protect healthy horses on healthy lands and leave enough natural resources for other wildlife. But they never mention the livestock. The livestock is the, you know, the missing picture. The BLM's own data shows that it is livestock, not wild horses damaging our rangelands. So that makes the BLM statements even more duplicitous. It knows, it does the, it does the studies and it has the data to show that this is not a wild horse issue. This is a livestock overpopulation issue. And yet it ignores and leaves that information out whenever it is communicating with the public about wild horses and the roundups. This portion of our conversation makes the answer to the last myth abundantly clear, and that is this. Come on, Vickery. The BLM is managing these public lands for the for the public good. They're doing it for me, Vickery. Come on. 
<laughs> you, you, you hard ass you, I mean, come on. Well, all I can do is laugh at that. Um, and, you know, I am a mem uh, member of the public too. And I have uh, been out West, but not in a while, but I care about those lands. And when I go out there, I'm afraid of what I'm going to see. I've done probably more research on this than most of the people that live there. We, the people own those lands. We are paying to protect them. We are paying to remediate damage out there. We are not being told what that is costing us, what it is costing the land, what it is costing the wildlife. All of us should feel ownership of that vast swath of lands in the West. We should feel that ownership. Most of us, many people don't even know that there are public lands that everybody owns. Um, you know, it is being used by a very small group of ranchers that don't have a lot of cows, but are doing great damage and we are paying for it. Scott, what is going on from a legislative perspective to combat this mistreatment of wild horses? Well, uh, primarily uh, two, two new pieces of, of legislation have been introduced. Neither of them really go to this uh, issue of the BLM's misinformation that we're talking about, but you've got a bill, HR 6635, uh, introduced by Representative Dina Titus from Nevada. Nevada, of course, has the largest population of wild horses in the country. Her legislation would ban the use of helicopters to conduct the roundups. It was filed by Representative Titus in response to the death of a colt uh, during a roundup in central Nevada, where the BLM's helicopter essentially uh, ran this uh, baby horse to the point where it snapped its front leg it was all captured on video. It was horrific. The The helicopter continued to try and chase the foal, even though it was running on three legs. Absolutely horrific. And uh, Representative Titus's, you know, very understandable response to that was to bring a bill that would basically get rid of helicopters. The other uh, bill introduced just last week is the Veterans for Mustangs Act, which would involve uh, veterans, uh, trained veterans in conducting certain wild horse management activities. But nothing has really been done uh, to address either the need for top to bottom reform of this agency and certainly nothing specifically on the issue of the agency's misinformation campaign and the very false uh, and misleading information that it's putting out there uh, to the public. Uh, Vickery, final thoughts from you. Because the Bureau of Land Management is a very large government agency. And because the Associated Press is a very large news distributor, it really falls on those two to share responsibility for the disinformation being put out there. Uh, that said, I'm not really sure how you turn around a government agency that is intentionally putting out false information, deceptive information, coordinated information, and how you get the world's largest news distributor to stop spreading it. Now, I will say the Associated Press's uh, coverage has backed off a little bit, but other news outlets have taken over doing what the Associated Press has done for so long. I'm stumped as to how to uh, rein that in. Thank you. I think that's a, a sad but appropriate period to put on this, this conversation. 
listeners can go to animalwellnessaction.org under our campaigns tab. You can find a section dedicated to wild horses. There are action items you can do there in terms of calling your legislators, call the Biden White House and express your displeasure that way. It may be that a mass of uh, support would be the only thing that would even get this to the remotest levels of attention among our elected and regulatory officials. So uh, we will count on our listeners as we so often do for help there. And speaking of our listeners, thank you so much for listening to the Animal Wellness Podcast. Be sure to visit animalwellnessaction.org for all of our news and information and to sign up for our news alerts. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, and we invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or Spotify. I'm your host, Joseph Grove, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast. 